listening to Lady Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Attention, attention, executive shuttle approaching. Guest commander, Dan Grubb. You are cleared for docking. Attention, uh, attention. Second technician, Forrester, to the station bar. I repeat, second technician, Forrester, to the station bar. Greetings and welcome to a very special edition of Lay Radio's Writer's Interview Series. Joining me in the station bar this evening, we have a man who lists in his life experience horticulture, onshore gas extraction, promotions management, animal husbandry, astronomy, fundraising, and aerospace engineering. Welcome to the show, Chief Executive Officer of Fantastic Books Publishing, Mr. Daniel Grubb. Hello, Chris. Thanks very much for having me. And hello, Lave Radio World. Welcome to the show, mate. Well, to say that's a bit of a mixed bag of experience is a bit of an understatement. So why don't we start there and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the company, Dan? Uh, Okay, I've always been a little bit OCD when it comes to uh, doing stuff. I quite like stuff and I'm a big believer in the fact that we've only got one life. So try loads of stuff. So that's what I did for the first 30 years of my life. Then I got into uh, book promotions and being an agent for my mother and my aunt's crime books. And that took me all over the country, arranging book signings and, of course, messing around with lots and lots of publishers and booksellers, etc. We wrote a series of cookbooks, me and my wife. Um, The reason we wrote the series of cookbooks, this is completely non-lave, incidentally, but it it gives... That's absolutely fine. Crack on. Uh, (laughs) uh, We wrote a a series of cookbooks, me and my wife, because we were desperately trying to make a batch of my grandmother, who at the time was no longer with us, melting moments. And we hunted down her recipe on a yellowing piece of paper... And the moths had eaten it. Oh, no way. And so we haven't managed to make, the, make them, and we're all obviously gutted as a result. So I decided to collect all of her recipes and compile them into a form that will last forever. Now, the only form that will last forever currently is the electronic form. And so we made a, a group of uh, cookbooks. Fifty Shades of Gravy is my personal <laughs> favourite. Um, yeah, it was a Price timed list. marketing thing. You know, I'm, I can only <laughs> apologise. But anyway, once we got into that, people seemed to like them and... and uh, they were buying them all over the world. So I thought, well, hang on a second. We've got people buying our books all over the world. We have lots of literary people in the family. Uh, maybe we'll approach them and see if they want some help pushing their books. And that was the next stage. Within a couple of years, we found ourselves on the cusp of becoming a publisher. So we thought, to hell with it. And we threw all in. We both packed our jobs in. And, uh, and we started Fantastic Books Publishing. That was back in April 2012. And since then, we've published over 30 books. We've ran three international competitions. And we are essentially loving the life of publishing. So that's what we do now. 
Oh, fantastic stuff. Well, I think I've been chosen by the rest of the Lay Radio crew to uh, to do this interview, mainly because I'm the person that knows the least about the publishing industry. So uh, <laughs> I think my, my role here is to sort of portray the, uh, the everyman. So apologies if I asked any uh, sort of common sense or, or stupid questions, but I'm going to go with the first one, which is you know, explain to me exactly how a publishing house actually works. What are the interactions and services that occur between yourself and the, the author? Right, gotcha. An author is somebody who writes. They write books. They write good books, bad books, all over the, right across the spectrum, but essentially a writer writes. The industry, when we came into it, seemed almost stacked against them, and we didn't think that was very fair. We investigated lots of self-publishing options, um, laying out lots of cash for covers, laying out lots of cash for ISBNs, laying out lots of cash for promotion and marketing, laying out lots of cash for editing, laying out lots of cash for proofreading. You notice a pattern forming here. And Absolutely. We didn't think that was particularly fair because if we find a talented artist and they're prepared to create beautiful art for us and give us a slice of every sale of that art, then we're not going to ask them to buy their own paint. Okay. <laughs> Now, in the same way that writers create all sorts of wonderful things, obviously we have to turn down the majority of our submissions. And that's not because we get a load of rubbish sent in. It's just that it's not quite there. And we, our adage is fantastic books only. And as a result, we do end up turning down probably between 90 and 95% of all incoming submissions, which sounds scarily high, but it's very much the norm in the industry. However, when we do accept a book, we then decide to take on the costs of publishing the thing. Now, if you split those costs down, it's the list I just gave you, but it doesn't cost the writer a penny, so we'll create their covers for them. We have a wonderfully talented designer called Paula Ann Murphy in Chicago. She's a world-class designer. She's worked in corporate design for over three decades, and she's helping us. She's helping us out with the covers, not because she's desperate for the work, but because she likes to work for people who are genuinely passionate about what they do. And she's picked us up on that and she's decided to join the team. So we're very lucky to have Paula. Due to the literary connections in the family over the course of the last 30 years, in fact, all over the world we have spread very talented editors, some of which remain anonymous because they are currently working for um, a variety of publishing houses all around the world. And they essentially freelance for us as well, which they're perfectly legally entitled to do, I might add. But they wish to remain anonymous. Now, as a result, we do get a lot of people saying, yeah, yeah, whatever, you're editing your stuff yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, any, anyone with a mind would think that. Come and check us out. Come and test out your work. Send us something. See what the editorial comment that comes back is. And you'll realise as soon as it comes back that this is world-class advice. Um, speak to Drew. So this is Drew Wagar, author of Elite Reclamation. Drew first came onto our radar, radar with our science fiction and fantasy anthology Fusion. Uh, his story Metal arrived. And he was very happy to play editorial tennis, as tends to happen, as we monkey the story up and down. And eventually we ended up with a beautiful, crisp story that, of course, is entirely Drew's. It just needed that polish. And that's precisely what's going on with all three of our authors now, the elite authors. Um, we're just playing editorial tennis up and down, a couple of chapters at a time. And as every chapter comes back, the idea of the editors is pushed in. There, there's not massive changes. There's not awful, groundbreaking changes. And, of course... We're all working, us and the authors, we're all working within the elite universe as well, which is, al although it's a constraint, it's a welcome constraint because it gives us boundaries to work within, you know? Yep, absolutely. And we'll come on to talk about those three books in just a little bit. 
So you've already talked about the fact that you've done you know, ebook publishing of the cookbook. Yeah. Um, would you say that you were you know, only ebooks? So you were sort of um, a new media publishing house, or do you also do the you know, paperbacks and hardbacks, the more traditional route to market that some of our listeners might be used to? Well, let, let me break down our business model because it's, it's painfully simple, to be fair, and that's, that's how we intended it from the start. Essentially, we release both. With every book that we that we publish, we'll release it as an ebook and a print-on-demand version. Okay, so using a platform such as CreateSpace or Lulu or or one of the more sort of professional numbers. Um, when the book and the print-on-demand book sells a particular amount, uh, usually the thresholds around the eight thousand sales mark, we use our profits from those sales. We don't touch the author's profits, but we use our profits from our half of those sales, as it were, to then produce a traditional print, which produces something exactly the same as the print-on-demand because we do know what we're doing but it brings the per unit price down which means the author and us make a little more per sale um, beyond that there's another threshold around about the 10,000 mark where we start considering things like special editions and that's where hardbacks come in that's where the gold handbound stuff comes in and various other things so in the first instance we used to just release ebooks wait for the sales of them to reach a certain level, then move on to print-on-demand, and then when the sales of those reach a certain level, then go on to traditional print publishing. But now we've decided there's absolutely no reason why we can't release the E and the print-on-demand at the same time and go for the huge slice of the marketing one. Interesting. Okay, well, I mean, you mentioned there about the the authors that you have within the elite universe. I mean, are you a, you yourself a gamer? Uh, and what's been your experience about the, the elite universe? You know, have you played in the previous elite games, elite frontier, first encounters? I am a gamer. I'm, I'm a gamer in the awful 21st century way. Um, I've been playing Far Cry and Skyrim and <laughs> I like the interface essentially because when it comes to gaming, I'm an idiot. So I need, I need things very, very clear and, and laid out for me. Uh, I did have a play with Oolite. Um, Alan put me onto Oolite and I had a little play with that. I lost count of the amount of times within a minute or two of existing. I accidentally shot at a space station and <laughs> surrounded and destroyed within seconds. But no, I, I, I'm really, really looking forward to the new game. Everything I've seen about it, especially just the, 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 the graphics engine and the physics engine just looks absolutely magnificent. And I'm looking forward to going back to school and learning all over again. My experience with the Elite Universe is essentially hanging over my older brother's shoulder in the mid to late 80s on our BBC Electron monochrome screen, I might add. And, uh, and yeah, just, just, just thinking he was the best Top Gun pilot in the entire universe. And, you know, uh, it's an incredible game and, and an incredible game for the time. It was so ahead of its time, a wonderful universe. Um, the, the physics of the thing, even back in the 80s, were, were mind-blowing. Obviously, if you compare them to today's games, it's, it's, it looks terrible, it sounds terrible. But the idea of the game, and that's what I hope is going to be maintained in the new one, you know? Yeah, you and us both. Mm. Um, have, you had a, have you had any experience? Have you backed any previous sort of um, you know, computer game tie-in novels, or is this going to be the first one for Fantastic Books? This is going to be the first one for Fantastic Books which is uh, it's, it's very exciting. Every, everyone here, um, everyone involved, everyone all over the world, um, obviously, is already alpha read, uh, the beta reading certain bits and bobs. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're very excited. They're very excited indeed. So at what point did the Elite Dangerous or the Elite, yeah, the elite Dangerous uh, Kickstarter and stuff turn up on your radar? Was it when um, you, know, you were approached by an author such as Drew, or did you actually see it and see the writer's packs and think, actually, yeah, this might be something that the company can get on board with? Well, we operate from a position of complete support. We don't consider FBP a publishing house. Hey, we'll publish a book, we'll sell it, expect to check every few months, and that's it. 
we want to get on board, we want to build a family of creative people. And as a result, when Drew joined us for Fusion with his story, um, we kind of kept in touch and I was keeping an eye on his social media and stuff. And then of course, his Kickstarter for the author pack arrived. And that was very closely linked to the game and that's when I found out that the Elite Dangerous game was coming. Um, I obviously got, got on board with Drew and threw him some pennies um, and it kind of went from there. Great stuff. So, I mean, obviously you've currently got three of the Elite Dangerous uh, writer pack novels signed up, which is equal to the other big publishing house, Galant. Indeed. What attracted you to these three projects specifically that you've taken on? Well, initially it was Drew's. Drew's was our first author and I thought Drew would be our only author because given the fact that Drew financed his own author pack, I thought we were very, very lucky to get him. When we, when we saw Drew going for his author pack and we also saw the Elite Dangerous thing coming through, our first thought was to dive in and buy some author packs ourselves, like Galantz did. Um, and Galantz purchased three, I think. Yeah, they um, did. And I, I can only presume that they purchased those three and then went hunting for authors to fill them. Whereas Drew has been genuinely passionate about the game since he was a kid, right? And as a result, his book... The, I, I, wish, I wish I could give you some spoilers, Chris, but I can't. Please so, don't. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's, there's true and genuine passion for the universe it's set in. And the same can be said for John Harper's and exactly the same can be said for Alan Stroud's as well. They show true passion for the game. They, they, are, they are real, real fans, you know? They're not writing something because they've got this author pack. They got the author pack because they wanted to write. And I think that's a, that's a profound difference. And as a result, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna go up against Galant, and they they better have something good for us. Great stuff. Good. Well, obviously, I mean, it's quite a it's quite a unique uh, proposal. You know, the whole writers' pack, uh, and probably you know quite unique within the uh, the literary world as well. I mean, not only have you got yourself and your you know your client, the author, who's working on it, but you've also got in the background Frontier Developments also working to create this universe. What interaction do you anticipate having with Frontier Developments? Have you sort of made any overtures towards them to see you know, how you can work together? As yet, I'm, I'm very lucky because all three of the guys have been working very closely with Frontier. And as they're putting their, their books together, they've been working very closely to make sure that they're writing within the constraints of the universe. So I, we haven't actually found ourselves, you know, we haven't found a need to approach Frontier as yet. However, you mentioned earlier about the fact that the the author pack involves pushing by Frontier. Yeah. Okay. So when the books are released and when the game's released, then Frontier, as part of the author pack um, that helped them finance the game, are going to help push out the books. And a lot of people have said, well, what are you going to do about that, Dan? I mean, you're the publisher. But the way I consider pushing a book out to market is very much like pushing a piano upstairs and out of the window. Very hard getting it upstairs, very hard getting it halfway out of the window. Once it's gone, it's gone. And frankly, Frontier is simply another pair of hands on that piano. I can't see any conflict whatsoever. We both want the books to succeed. We both want the game to succeed. And I think we'll work together great. And to be honest, all the, all the sort of David and Goliath joking aside, I can't imagine there's going to be any conflict with Galantz either. Because, of course, they're releasing essentially a series of elite, um, officially sanctioned novels, as are we. And I don't think we're going to be in direct competition. I think we're simply going to join the flow of wonderful, very high-level uh, literature that's heading out there. And I personally think ours are going to be as good, if not better. But, of course, I'm a little biased. <laughs> and quite rightly so. Mm -hmm. No, I do think that uh, when it comes to the fiction, uh, I do think that you know, I, most people, certainly the big elite fans, will buy one, buy all um, when I it comes I'm... to the, the fiction. <laughs> yeah, I know I will be. So... 
I mean, what do you think as someone that works in the literary industry about the way that Frontier has been involved with the writers, you know, the need to, uh, to gain sign off? Normally, an author's process is very much a personal thing. You know, do you think that it's quite unique the way that Frontier are, are building it? I think it's unique in a sense. Yes, I understand where you're coming from. But um, I, think, I think it maintains the integrity of the books and where they're set. Um, for example, in certain parts of the of the text that haven't been signed off by Frontier yet, there is literally gaps in the book. And this is places, this is people, this is directions of travel, this is descriptions of stuff. But when those arrive from Frontier, those descriptions are going to be thrown out wholesale to every author, including Galancers, which means that these books are going to be very believably set in the universe. And I think that's very important. The writing is a very personal thing, and to... To get to the point of writing the end, as our good friend Drew Wagar said, is very much about halfway there as far as writing a book and getting it out there. You know, people consider getting to the end of a script and that's it and you're sort of 90% there and obviously you'll have to <laughs> monkey about. And it's simply not true. Uh, the marketing and promotion of a book is, is as difficult from a publisher's standpoint as writing the thing is from an author's. Um, yeah, actually, I can I can well imagine you that know, to, you, uh, uh, to be fair. The editorial process itself is very much like what's going on with um, what the Frontier are going to do when they start putting in the restraints of, uh, like like I said, the descriptions, and etc., and the geography. But depending on the style of book, there's a particular style that's going to run through it, and it might be to do with viewpoint, it might be to do with certain methods of building tension. And if you start jumping around in the same book using different styles of this, it can appear quite clunky. We've all read books that are perf- that the premise is perfectly good, got about halfway through, and they've ground us to a halt. And in some cases, we don't even know why. It just has. And in my view, that's entirely due to the editorial standard of the book. And I think the editorial process, although the writing is very personal, the editorial process is also very personal. And a real, a real bond builds between an author and an editor. A good editor will offer constructive criticism. A bad editor will rip through the script with a red pen, rewrite this, try again, could do better, you know. And and this, to me, isn't helpful. But our editors always offer constructive criticism, even if the bottom line of that constructive criticism is rewrite this entire chunk, I don't think it works. They will always give a reason, they will always give um, advice. And I think that speaks of their integrity, you know, speaks of their, of their integrity and their professionalism. But we... Uh, uh, a world-class editor can't work with a crap author. You know, that's that's the other very important thing. <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, maybe you can't talk to this, but how have the the editors found working with the you know these novels that have been submitted, where you know there might be complete sort of pages missing and gaps missing, or you know where the authors have to write uh, to be confirmed by Frontier Developments? Initially, they wanted to start a huge discourse with Frontier. But of course, all that's going to happen, all that's going to do is add on a whole diary of, uh, of, of dates and times that the authors have already got. So essentially, we're going to be getting the same information back from Frontier that the authors are getting, and we won't be able to do anything with it, so we'll pass that information to the authors. So we've simply left it to the guys to battle away with Frontier. Frontier have said they're going to release a variety of bits of information. They, we do have deadlines for that, and when it all comes, everyone involved knows when it's coming. So as far as the editorial staff are concerned, they're absolutely fine with it. They can handle that sort of thing. Great stuff. Okay, well, I mean, just maybe taking a, a step backwards, you've got three authors on the books, as it were, already. Mm-hmm. Um, from uh, from your point of view, would you be interested in taking on more, or have you got a very sort of focused approach with the three that you've got now? It's an interesting question. 
any of my editors who are watching, I know exactly what two-letter word they're screaming at the radio right now. But um, I'm, I'm always interested. I'm, I'm always interested in in the approach. If there's any other elite authors out there who who want to send us a synopsis and want to send us a couple of chapters just so we can look through it, I'll be perfectly happy to. Um, I may need to go and wrestle with the bank and get a few more editors on board. But um, as far as what I consider to be a branded series, essentially. Um, the three books we've got are all very different. The characters are all very different. The situations are all very different. Different. Even the political machinations of the characters are all very different. Um, and as a result, I think I think there is space for potentially two more under Fantastic Books Publishing. Right. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to be a fly on the wall when you're uh, when you get back to your editors. But uh, I think yeah, they're the all, more people that can get the help, they're all uh... grumbling from their basement cells. I can hear. Them. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, maybe this then. So, um, I mean, the writers' pack has been a unique offering, and each project is you know, deciding which route to market is best for them. But have you got any sort of general advice for for the other projects out there? I mean, would you say you know, get a publisher, get an editor, don't go to Amazon? You know, what sort of general advice have you got for the guys that are are still there working at the coalface, making their their manuscript? Okay, um, go and have a look at Drew Wagar's Kickstarter campaign. Go and have a look at Alan Stroud and John Harper's websites. See what they're doing a full half year clear of their book being released. This is how you release a book. This is the perfect way to release a book. Get some graphics together. Record yourself chatting about the book. If you've written the book and you're genuinely passionate about it, the easiest way to get that passion across to your potential buyers is to show them. Film yourself updates, everything. Social media is so important nowadays. And people poo-poo it and, and that's absolutely fine, okay? If you have a if you have a seven-figure bank balance, then go ahead, go to Goodreads, throw them $5,000 a month, give them the information and they'll push your book out. That's just fine. But to me, that's quite cold. If you want a personal launch for your book, if you really want to build the passion behind your book, just show people how passionate you are about it. And if you're not passionate about your writing, you're not a writer. When you mentioned there about social media, I mean, it might be a little bit too early in the game to answer this question, but have you got any sort of vision about how you're going to bring these books to market? Are you going to do sort of traditional ad campaigns? Is it going to be sort of promotions on the website, uh, maybe targeted review sites like Goodreads or social media? How does that normally work with uh, fantastic books? Well, to say how does it normally work is interesting because this is such a, such a unique project. We are very interested in creating book trailers little films, non-spoilers, but little films about stuff. Now, it's incredibly hard to do stuff in the elite universe like that, but we're hoping that Frontier are going to sign off for use of things like sound effects, um, in-game graphics, that sort of stuff. So hopefully we're going to be able to knock up some really, really nice-looking book trailers for all three of these. I think they will definitely help. Um, we already have... We've, we've had a bit of a nod from some uh, public access broadcasting channels so we may actually be able to get it on the old-fashioned telly box, which always helps. Uh, I envisage posters and windows of bookstores, boxes and boxes of print books, just the, the usual thing that you'd, you'd associate with a book launch. On top of that, I have a very good relationship with our local radio stations at the BBC. And as a result, I can whip around the country and appear on those, and I, I expect Drew and Alan and... And, uh, and John to do the same, although obviously it's a bit trickier for John because I certainly won't be flying over from New Zealand. <laughs> but uh, he can jump on his own local radio channels and talk all about it. But when the launch happens, essentially we're all going to be full on, full steam ahead, 
talking to everyone in every possible manner possible. We have a we have a huge marketing and promotions network, of course, we're a publisher, and I will be utilizing all of those. But there's also some out-of-pocket stuff. You you do have to pay. We do have to get what they call POS or point of sale stuff, which is your flyers, your bookmarks, your posters, and all of these things will be being produced as well. And of course our wonderful designer Paula will be on board to help us make those look as crisp and beautiful as possible. That's absolutely brilliant. That, that sounds really exciting. And now I can't, even more so, I can't wait until the launch of these books. Um, I take it you are all still heading for March next year as your, your launch time. Indeed. I would like the, I'd like the launch to, to begin on the day of the game launch and run on high octane for at least a fortnight. Great stuff. Fantastic. That's pretty much all I've got um, in my head about asking regarding uh, the Elite Dangerous campaign, but yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's next for uh, Fantastic Books Publishing, because uh, having a look through the website, I couldn't help but notice that you're looking at launching an audiobook division, and I can't stop myself wondering whether or not there's going to be ramifications for the uh, for the authors with that as well. <laughs> I thought I thought you said no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let, let me tell you about our new division. It's called Fantastic Books Audio. I was hunting around the net looking at the possibility of uh, creating an audiobook for essentially for a friend, for a blind friend, um, because they were desperately wanting to get hold of our, sorry for the double plug, Fifty Shades of Gravy. And so <laughs> I was looking around and I went to Hull University and I met up with some actors and um, I was speaking to a studio down in Reading and um, I wanted to get the cookbook turned into an audiobook for her. And then I thought, hang on. The reason she can't get hold of this book and get access to this book is because it's not available in a format that she can enjoy. So why would I just produce the one just for her? There must be lots. So I started hunting through the statistics. Now here's a scary statistic for you. Between 1 and 7% of all new releases, 1 and 7% are made available to the blind and partially sighted community. I, I think that's terribly unfair. It's just terribly unfair. So then I started looking at the process of actually producing an audiobook. So we need a studio, we need a sound engineer, um, we're going to need actors, and of course we're going to need things like recover designs and all the kind of jiggery-pokery that goes on in the background. So I started hunting it down, and it's not actually that tricky. It's just very, very time-consuming and obviously very expensive. And due to our business model, we don't want any of that expense to go to our authors, so we'd have to take it on ourselves. So we decided to open up a brand spanking new division. It's called Fantastic Books Audio. We're crowdfunding the rollout. Now, wow. we're, we've decided to use Indiegogo instead of Kickstarter, mainly because we kind of like the underdog, and everybody uses Kickstarter, and that's the only reason we use, used Indiegogo. But it's there right now. It's a, it was a 48-day ask. Um, it's been running for just over a month, so there's about 13 days left. So if any of you guys listening uh, just happen to be philanthropic millionaires who have a penchant for audiobooks, dive in there, give us thousands of pounds, and we'll make it happen. To prove to you that we can make it happen, we have already audiofied Penny Grubb's The Dollmakers, which is a very scary, dark um, crime thriller, which I hope you all enjoy when it comes out within the month. And we've also taken a book of inspirational poetry by a guy called John Connor, and we've audiofied that as well. And essentially, just to prove that not only can we do it, and do we have the people there that we can do it, we can do it really, really crisply. Now, the person we've had doing it is called Matt Brown. He runs Living Audio. He's the, he's the sound engineer guy who's, who's par partnered with us for this project and for the rollout. 
Now, Matt Brown has been blind since birth, and as a result, is an absolute Jedi when it comes to sound. I mean, the stuff he produces is ridiculously crisp. He's worked on um, 3D binaural sound for computer games. Um, he's done some work for the BBC. He's done some drama, some sort of radio dramas and stuff. He really knows his stuff, and he's genuinely passionate about this this terrible thing that the blind and partially sighted community simply don't get access to new books. Now, it's all well and good saying, well, yes, but the big publishers will eventually get them out in audio format, but that's simply not good enough. If it's three or four months past, I'm, I'm not a massive fan myself, it has to be said, but let's say you're a Fifty Shades of Grey fan. <laughs> right. Four months later, the audio version comes out. You essentially know everything about it by then. Yes, you, you know, do. Of course, how could you not? You know, you'd have to sit in a dark room with your fingers in your ears. So we don't think it's fair that these guys have to wait. We also don't think that the fact that audiobooks are for specifically for the blind and partially sighted community. Nowadays, everyone wants things on the go. And it's convenient. It's very convenient to listen to an audiobook. It's not always practical. Now yeah, no, Dan, I'm going to chime in there because... Uh... As the, our listeners will know, I actually do a sales role, uh, which involves a lot of driving around the uh, the country. And you know, I listen to books in the car, and it's you know, it keeps me sane. Basically, I have a a massive audiobook library. So, yeah, you know, this is something that I will definitely be jumping over to Indiegogo for, and definitely sort of putting my money there because, as I say, it's something that gets me through every single day that I go to work. Fantastic! I'm really glad to hear that, and thanks for that. Jump onto Indiegogo.com, go and hunt down Fantastic Books Audio. And there we are, and throw as much as you can. I've got, um, I've got lots of businesses here, local to Hull, who are very passionate about the whole City of Culture bid that's coming up in 2017. I don't know if you've seen any, uh, any buzz about that online, but essentially it's down to four places now that might get the 2017 City of Culture, and Hull's one of them. So lots and lots of local businesses are getting on board. I've been speaking to a lot of those today, um, and hopefully they're going to jump in and help us out with the campaign as well. And yeah, I just think that it's, it's, it's convenience as well. I remember when audiobooks were cool. Uh, I remember <laughs> listening to audiobooks as a kid. I remember, I, 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 like you, Chris, I listen to audiobooks right now. And it seems a rarity. People don't seem to listen to audiobooks anymore. And, and I think that's a real shame. So I am on a one-man crusade to make them cool again. Well, I say I will certainly join the army, and I'm sure quite a few of our listeners will probably join the army too. But uh, just for the moment, Dan, we're going to call that it. And thank you so much for your time and coming on uh, Lave Radio and talking to us. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with you nearer the book launch.